0: Enter the world of Mind Your Own Marketing Business, explore a variety of trends in the creative landscape, getting insider knowledge from the industry's best, Fjorge is proud to present Mind Your Own Marketing Business with host Joe Barsness.
1: Thanks for joining us on Mind Your Own Marketing Business. I'm Joe Barsness of web and mobile development team Fiorge. and today on our show, we'll be talking to Joe Skartz about his digital commerce consultancy, Velocity Commerce Group. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hi, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You are welcome. Thanks you for taking the time. Um, Fun to have a couple Joes on the same podcast. I guess that's not odd, but it's still fun. Right. All right. So first I want to ask you about Velocity Commerce Group. Can you tell me a little bit about your company from where you're located um, to what you guys focus on and kind of how it, it has become to be the powerhouse that it is? Um, yeah and and
0: um thanks joe i appreciate the setup uh it's uh it's been a wild time because we are in um digital marketing uh digital commerce consulting um and uh wow it's um it's been busy lately but um our value proposition is that we are a complete commerce agency and what that means is um we are looking across the the brand technology and commerce ecosystem specifically um, different commerce channels like D2C, uh, Amazon, where we have a whole sub-practice, um, Omnichannel, which you know means like Walmart, Target, some of the, uh, the bigger box uh, Omnichannel retailers, and then old-fashioned pure-play e-tailers. Across those four areas, how is your brand positioned? How is your um, subset of products rationalized? So what's your skew rationalization? And then what are you looking to accomplish? Is it to drive revenue, to increase margin? or to um, build your brand or protect your brand even. Um, we focus on all those areas and man, um, we've had a lot to do lately with the world going go cattywampus over the past nine or 10 weeks or so. So I know uh, you guys have experienced some of the same thing, but um, that's what VCG is meant to help brands navigate through. And, you know, we didn't just start this uh, at the uh, beginning of March or, or whatever, we actually, um, are an outgrowth of a uh, Omnicom-owned retail marketing agency called TPN. Um, So, about four years ago, we launched TPN Prime to tackle Amazon. Um, Ah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then the the short version is, uh, you know, we wanted to grow outside of Amazon due to client asks and um, there was a need to create a brand. Um, So we built Velocity Commerce Group uh, about a year ago, actually. Um, and have expanded into
1: all those areas I
0: talked about earlier. So it's been a,
1: it's been Got a wild it. ride. And how how has your career grown to get to where you are today? And and what do you do um, at Velocity? I am uh,
0: chief digital commerce officer for uh, Velocity Commerce Group and, um, and TPN. Uh Spent a lot of time on the VCG side of things lately, and my my <laughs> my career has been. Um, pretty focused on, on digital all the way back, uh, in the days when, uh, around 1999 or 2000, when, you know, you had to teach people what an animated GIF was and, you know, the, the click-through rates on banners were <laughs> sky high. Everybody wanted to click on banners back then. Uh,
1: but- Were you part yeah. of the decision of GIF versus JIF?
0: <laughs> I have always been a GIF. I don't know about you you've been me around as well for a while too but uh yeah okay good we got two joes and two gifts we're, <laughs> there you go we're off to a good start um but uh a winding road since then actually because i actually had finished a um a master's degree in 2000 it was marketing but it it was um focused on e-com there were some certifications for e-com uh that were early back then and i graduated from graduate school in november 2001 which for a variety of reasons was not a great time to be entering the job market and an even worse time uh, to be entering um, e-commerce because we had just come off of obviously 9-11, but m- more mm-hmm. relative to that category, we had come off of the dot-com bust. Um, so, you know, ended up uh, being kind of the digital guy uh, in an ad agency out in Las Vegas that was uh, building a new ad campaign called What Happens in Vegas Stays in Vegas.
1: Oh, never heard of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that was R <laughs> and R partners, and you know I used to spend my uh, mid and late twenties kind of out on uh, the Vegas Strip on the weekend, So it wasn't a bad gig.
1: Oh, very uh, out, nice out,
0: out, out in Vegas. But um, you can't, you can't. What happens in Vegas has got to stay in Vegas. So you, you unless you want to stay there forever, you got, you got to get out. So I uh, made my way back to Chicago, and I've been here uh, ever since. And then been with TPN for the last uh, five years. So. Got it.
1: And is TPN is not located in Chicago as its main office? Do you have a hub there? We've got about a hundred people, uh, okay. here
0: and it's, it's, uh, 90 people maybe. And then we're only a, you know, a company of about 300 and something. So okay. uh, Dallas is technically the headquarters, but big offices in New York and Chicago. And then most of our VCG team, uh, is located, uh, here in Chicago. So we're pretty centrally located working with a lot of brands and manufacturers, uh, and then um, have plenty of uh, partner and uh, media reps here as well. So I spend a lot of time here, but a lot of time in New York. Some time on the West Coast when we used to travel. Now I guess I do it all on Zoom. So there you but, go. Yeah. Um, actually, I had a client meeting today or a new client meeting today with uh, a couple of guys, um, one in Portland, one in Seattle, and we were talking about. He's like, so how are you guys going to do? You know. We, We'll often, depending on the type of engagement, if it's strategic in nature, we'll do some in-depth uh, discovery. Mm-hmm. And that's always an airplane ride, right? You right. go out there, you immerse in the brand and meet with the client and figure out what you're going to do from a scoping perspective. And uh, he's like, how do you do discovery? And I, I just told him, I said, we, just like we're doing right now. You know, We do it on, I think that was a, uh, it wasn't Skype, but it was one of the other platforms. Sure. Morning. So that's how you do it and i you you know maybe you guys experience the same thing but we're all learning how to do it uh, differently luckily we're digital natives i guess so we know how to do it
1: yeah digital is very easy to do remotely i think much like you we do some discovery and sometimes it's great to see like the warehouse and some of the physical product that they're doing just for those folks to understand the actual physical process of moving along but otherwise you're right there isn't much Uh, pain felt in the digital industry from being remote like us. I've actually had a positive experience in the sales world with, you know, rather than having two rooms in different places on one video screen and everybody kind of bringing their own device and looking up the screen and then looking back at their device, I think I now prefer everybody to be on a Zoom call individually so you can look at everybody's faces (laughs) right there. And right. so I think that's something that might change for us. I think I prefer that more than you know maybe even a conference call without video and or a like for sure a room with video and one video player playing on either side. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. that's one thing that I think will certainly change in my world. It's definitely better when you're trying to make a connection with a uh, person or contact for the
0: first time, you know um, right so. Yeah.
1: Um, All right. So let's jump in. I know you've been doing this for 20 plus years um, and come a long way. And then, you know, our world changed, like you mentioned nine or 10 weeks ago that I think and you uh, we talked earlier, we think it's going to only accelerate that change that we are already seeing. Um, But uh, some general questions first before I get into a couple fun ones. Um, How can our listeners who are marketers and agency folks, um, how can they, uh, do e-commerce really well?
0: Well, I mean, it, it, it is, um, that's the big question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we get paid to do. Um, it's going to depend on what type of marketer you are, uh, what type of brand you are, um, how big of an organization that you are. Um, the great part is there are so many tools out there, um, just on the tactical side from years of product development and um, learning, uh, you know, working with um, smart people like your organization that, you know, build out um, experiences for brands and their customers, um, along with, you know, many, many others that, you know, touch all parts of the e-commerce business, everything from uh, the strategic piece all the way down through fulfillment uh, and then remarketing, it's, um, it's an incredible time to set up things uh, and test and learn and do things quickly. And that's a lot of, even with large brands, which, you know, we work with Clorox and we work with uh, smaller brands you, you might not have heard of, like, um, you know, or, or big companies with small brands that you've that sure. you've never heard of or startups, like we worked with a company, Oars and Alps, that just got by SC Johnson uh, last year and helped them build their, their e-com business. Um, <clears throat> so throughout the entire process, um, you've got to determine what are your obviously your goals and objectives, but how much are you willing to spend? What's the right return? And then what's mm-hmm. the payback period on that return? So we actually do a lot of that work to answer that question you just asked on the upfront to get the right answer back based on any given um, situation.
1: Cool. <clears throat> and what what do you feel like is uh, a common misconception about how people are, Uh, doing sales in the e-commerce world Uh, well I think it's fascinating Um, you know um,
0: a lot of people think that because there are so many tools and um, ways to get started quickly out there that you'll have instant success e-com is extremely competitive uh, and you have to build a brand and you've got a market and you have to have a good product you have to have a good product I mean There have been cases where sometimes the product's just wrong. You know, it's wrong for the marketplace. They try and take shortcuts. Uh, There are not shortcuts right now um, to understanding your customer and the product development side of things and marrying up those two. What's the value proposition for your brand or product? Um, So the sales process um, to get to the consumer is still much of the same way it's been. You can just do a couple things uh, certainly faster and that you don't have to get to a particular retail outlet like you might have in the old days just going straight to bricks. Um, uh, So, you know, that's a lot of people want to come to us and are looking at one or two areas where they need to accelerate their e-com business. Uh, And when they do, um, oftentimes just about level setting, uh, what can be done quickly, uh, what should be a test and learn and then what takes uh, a bit more diligence and um, uh,
1: methodical sort of approach. Got it, and I I have this question that I know could go many different ways, and I think it probably changed recently. But what's the future of e-commerce now? What what's going to happen? I mean, we're both seeing increased need for it, but beyond that, do you think that it will drop back down? What are what are you thinking? Um,
0: Well, it's fascinating. I think that prior to this whole. You know, situation that we're in over the last nine or two weeks, it was about 10 percent of um, total retail sales in the U.S. was e-commerce related. And that varied pretty dramatically by category, just depending on like grocery was somewhere around three or four percent. And obviously um, electronics was much, much higher computers. Uh, Obviously, music has changed a long time ago. But um, as we go forward, it's about how are all of those different categories going to grow? Furniture was growing quickly, right? Um, So you had some of these lagger categories that were starting to catch up even pre-COVID. And what I think is happening now is more and more people have uh, tried, we'll pick a category, have tried grocery, for example. Um, What we've seen is that uh, those numbers have gone from 3 or 4% of penetration to be over 10% uh, if you look through the duration of the year. So what will get people to stay is if that becomes an experience that is um, as good or good enough to save them a couple-hour trip on the weekend if that's what they value. Some consumers are going to always value going into the grocery store to make the right selections. But if you can get an experience that even – Um, is adequate enough to take um, 30% of those folks from an online shopper only to a hybrid shopper, you're going to see a massive increase off of what was a smaller base relative to other categories that will stick. And so there were some articles out early in the pandemic where people were talking about, you know, this is a blip and it's not going to stick. As time has gone on and we're still at home, And even though some of those at-home orders are slowly being lifted, people are not necessarily comfortable going to a grocery store. Um, I think we're going to see a larger percentage than not of people that actually accept that migration and stay majority uh, e-commerce customers or, at the very least, buy online, pick up curbside or pick up in-store such that you're going to see that acceleration stick and, I think, you know, Ultimately, if we're looking at groceries category, I I think that 10% or upper single digit percent is, is here to stay as we go into,
1: um, 2021, you got, you got one family that definitely probably isn't going to give up, uh, uh, shopping online after having an experience. We just were able to go to our cabin last weekend and, um, instead of shopping days earlier and repacking and all of that, my wife uh, got a grocery des- delivery, uh, you know, at early afternoon and everything was we- what we needed to go to the cabin. And we literally grabbed those bags and put them right in the cooler so we didn't have to, you know, do that extra shopping run. We didn't have yeah. to, like, right. worry about what goes and what doesn't. It was just that order was coming and it went straight somewhere. And that was a convenience we'll probably never give up. Right. Well,
0: those of us with small kids, right, or with children right, home, who's got two hours on the weekend to go to the, the grocery store? So yeah, now we a, do it at
1: 10 o'clock at night with a delivery for the next morning, right?
0: Yeah, and they figured out, and this is a key point, because a lot of the people that were saying, hey, this isn't going to work, they were looking at the current moment in time in April when you couldn't get a delivery window. Well, I'm right. in Chicago, and I can tell you that Instacart has sorted that out, even Amazon Fresh who for a certain period of time wasn't taking new customers, they figured it out. They, I mean, these, these companies, along with the grocers, uh, have hired hundreds of thousands of people across the country. That is a massive shift in the labor force. And so with that shift has come a, um, an enhancement of the experience back to at least where it was almost pre-COVID. The thing you run into now is less about delivery windows, and you still have some stock issues. For certain mm-hmm. products at certain times, but nothing like we saw uh, even four weeks ago. I mean, it's really come around as they've as they staffed up. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a real acceleration of trends that were happening across categories that I that I think is here to stay. And you see, um, you know, I know, you know, in talking before this podcast, both of us have seen an increase of let's just say inquiries about uh new ways to reach the consumer through e-com so it's it's happening and i think it's going to stay
1: right right um i have another fun question for you uh and i'm curious about this you, i don't work in this world very much but i have this curiosity and i have a feeling you might know uh is amazon a monopoly yeah <laughs> and, and what's going to change soon
0: yeah I, I don't know who am i going to upset with my answer to this question i gotta think <laughs> about this for a minute um I do not. OK, so if we look at retail, and this is their line on this, and I and I think it's fair. Uh, if you look at retail broadly and you isolate their retail business and the percentage of retail they have relative to all retailers in the United States, North America, and the world, they are not a monopoly. They're not even close to meeting the threshold of being a monopoly. However, if you begin to look at the way that they are approaching vertical integration across not just retail... But different services Um, and even some, you know, uh, some even some private label goods, some hardware based goods. You can probably look at certain categories and come to the and surmise, I I suppose, that they have the potential to ultimately be a monopoly. I do not believe, based on the common definition of monopoly, that, you know, you could take this to court and find out that, you know, the current incarnation they are a monopoly. I think when you start looking at monopolistic um, uh, tendencies that that may evolve over time relative to a discussion about Amazon, you actually might have to look more at what they're doing on the AWS side, um, mm-hmm. more at what's happening on the uh, Alexa side of things, and then start to determine, well, are they a monopoly? Are they just a big player? How are these things creating vertical integration that's crushing mid-sized players. And then, you know, you have to ask yourself, is that monopolistic? Is that innovative? Is that some hybrid of the two? So it's hard. And I think it's hard because it's hard to put them in a category today where you maybe have a um, case is in pure e-commerce in the U.S. Um, because in that case, they do have a higher percentage than anybody else. And it's sure. gravitating towards 50% of total e-com the, the challenge with making that argument though, is more and more retailers, Walmart, Target, Lowe's, Home Depot, those guys have all been in the news cause they've all reported over the past week and their e-commerce sales are through the roof. They're all growing faster, particularly I should say Walmart and Target than Amazon and e-com sales. So they will chip away at that, and it's they're doing that through, of course, the power of their omni-channel offering, whereas Amazon right. doesn't have that, with the exception of Whole Foods and you know some Amazon Go stores and a four-star store in New York. Um, so it's a complex, nuanced question. Um, what I do think, where you could pivot into a different conversation that we probably don't have time for is... Just regulation of technology companies in general, you know, your Google privacy issues, Facebook privacy issues, Amazon scale, size, scope, vertical integration, monopoly. Like what is that uh, set of technology company um, regulation that looks at all of them broadly and then determines where there's uh, some issues? But that's... That's a complex one
1: too. And that's a different podcast. Of course we should do that one. Yeah. Um, no, um, I'm intimidated by that one. Actually
0: leave me out. (laughs) Uh, one,
1: I, uh, we have time for one more question and and this may be Mm -hmm. a whole other podcast as well. Um, but maybe some high level points on who should sell on Amazon and who should not. Great question. I think if you're, um, you know, if you
0: are a brand that, uh, is highly concerned about um, clearly your brand image, I mean, you know, Apple, still certain products you can't buy on Amazon. Uh, If you are concerned about pricing challenges, if you're concerned about third party sellers, marketplace issues, counterfeits, uh, if you're um, any kind of um, medicinal organization, it isn't so much that you say carte blanche, we're not going to sell on Amazon. It's how and what are you going to sell on Amazon? Um, skew rationalization across your channels is critically important, uh, price points across your channels, distribution agreements, which, um, may not be set up to protect you from price erosion by third party sellers are all important to look at. Um, so oftentimes we start to answer that question with clients by looking at, uh, sort of a channel based strategy by SKU and by, uh, line product line. Uh, to help them make sure that the right products uh, on the right channel. And that's more important now than ever before. And you know I was listening to, uh, I mean, he's a bit of a um, outspoken, I suppose, guy, but if you listen to Gandhi, Gary Vanderchuk, he uh, was talking the other day uh, at a uh, webinar I had I had thirty minutes to to listen into, and it was it was uh, refreshing. But it was um, uh, his comment was, if you're a large brand, and you're not doing D to C in 10 years, you'll be dead, you know, in a very very Gary Vanderchuk way to put it. But he also said that he thinks that 50% of e-commerce sales could be D to C in the next over the next decade. Uh, it's a big number. It's a big percentage. We do know it's growing. Um, whether or not you'll be dead if you don't sell D to C, I don't know. But the point he was making is that whether you're uh, Coca-Cola or uh, Kimberly Clark or n- name your CPG company. Um, this is clearly a, a new um, means of distribution for you that you need to consider to create a direct-to-consumer relationship and offer some product differentiation and to build your brand. And if you're not, you're, you're missing out. The, the challenge for them, of course, has been the um, uh, the economics of it. How do you make it work? How do you go from you know shipping big old pallets to out to some wholesaler, letting them distribute them, and then uh, kind of just cashing your checks? Now it's, oh my gosh, we have to be marketing organizations, and sales organizations mm-hmm. that sell direct to the consumer. That's, that's a whole different ball of wax and uh, uh, you know, a different um, economic model. So yeah, a um, lot of different things to think about. Um, well, thanks for sharing. I, yeah, no, it's um, that's, great.
1: That's a question I've always wondered as, as I thought, why wouldn't you, a while back, I thought, why wouldn't you? sell on Amazon and then I as we start to hear some people that talk about why they're not doing it um, and what the downsides to selling on Amazon are so it's great to see that come into play um, so really cool to get your perspective on it. Um, unfortunately, that Joe, that's all other,
0: That would be a whole other podcast. Joe. Of so course. Thank yeah. Thank you for letting of course
1: me drone on that question. <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunately all we have time for today. Um, thanks for joining us on mind your own marketing business. You can find Joe skarts at velocitycommercegroup.com as well as J a skarts on Twitter. And then, Joe, if you want to do a little plug on your podcast, I know you do one of your own as well. Oh, wow.
0: Thanks, Joe. No, I didn't, I didn't know we were going to go there. Yes, we we'll also do the uh, Mo and Joe Epic Talks with my friend uh, and principal at Q Division, Manolo Almagro. So you can find uh, Mo and Joe's Epic Talks at uh, iTunes or Spotify and, uh, and uh,
1: appreciate it. Thank you for that. Awesome. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Uh, you can download episodes of our program by going to own slash MindYourOwnMarketingBusiness or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.